not Linda, but the the brunette girl. Allie. Allie, thank you. Um, Allie is babysitting that little girl, right, in her house. Lindsay. Uh, yeah. When Allie spills whatever she spills on her uh, top. Butter. Right? Oh, my God. Okay. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon, and today I finally watched Halloween. And this is David, and I also finally watched Halloween. So just to be clear, we're talking about the original 1978 Halloween, not the Rob Zombie remake or like the 2018 remake. We're talking about like the OG Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Myers Halloween. And apart from it just being like old in its sense of the use of tropes that we see so so much now, I think this movie still really holds up. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'll talk about like parts that like really got me like on the edge of my seat. But as far as like pacing and writing, I think this movie is very well done. Uh, What did did you think, David? Uh, Absolutely. Um, I wasn't expecting much going into it, not because it's obviously a classic, but more because I don't think horror you know horror is built on kind of the scares and the suspense and i just didn't think that that would hold up well after 42 years um but it was still fairly suspenseful not in what was going to happen but how it was going to happen and also it was just a really it was just a really cool film there's a lot of things in it that i like really enjoyed watching um it was also interesting because I watched it twice in the last couple of days. And the first time I watched it was a completely unremastered cut with that had like kind of like the skips of the film and like this, the screen went like green for a second. This happened like a couple times. And then when I rewatched it, I watched it on like a different app and it was a completely re- like perfectly remastered version with the sound great <laughs> and like the picture great. And I almost prefer, prefer the first one just because it, it um, you know, it kind of puts you in that setting of, of, you know, it's not a Grindhouse movie, but it kind of reminds me of, like, when Quentin Tarantino did, you know, Grindhouse and had, like, the purposeful skips and, like, the messed up film. And so I actually enjoyed that aspect of it more the first time. But it's just a great film if you've never seen it. It's just really well done horror and suspense. Yeah, you know, they talk about this film being kind of a a breakthrough in its, you know, for the horror genre. And like I said, you know, for us watching it our first time, it's like, well, all this stuff is just like common tropes and horror. But taking into consideration that this is the first time, you know, this and this and this has happened, you got to have like a lot of respect to this film being like, oh man, you know, if the way the stalker just kind of like disappears or just like you barely see them in the distance. You know, this is where the first time this stuff is happening, like big respect because now you see that all the time in horror. I think when it, when the movie started, the credits were kind of interesting to me because I was like, Oh, these are really like low budget. And it's just like a, um, a jack-o'-lantern with the names popping up on and off the screen to the side. And I was like, that is, yeah interesting it was kind of cool but at the same time i was like 
it was just something that felt a little off to me. Like they could have done, you know, opening credits don't really matter, but that, that, the, that setup of it, I was like, that's a little odd, but the entire time you have the music playing the score, which plays uh-huh. throughout the film. And that score is like, it's so iconic that it is like setting you in the mood for this movie. So, so we don't get canceled. You're going to have to take back your uh, opening credits don't matter in a film, David, because I feel like opening credits, like their whole purpose is to get you in the, in the mood for the film you're about to watch. It depends on how you do the opening credits. These are literally just the names appearing on a black screen with a jack-o'-lantern. I mean, if you had... Yeah, but it is creepy. Like, you know, the jack-o'-lantern appears to be kind of just like sitting in in dead space and it is moving closer and closer to the screen as the the credits go on. And then that like, as the light in the jack-o'-lantern dim, I think that's really, I think that gives you a real creepy element to it. No, it, it didn't work for me. Um, uh, okay. And I don't want to focus on it because I love the movie. And right after that, maybe one of the coolest scenes like I've seen in a movie in a long time, the opening scene of the POV view of young Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. That whole, that whole opening shot is POV. It's amazing. Right. No, it's, it is amazing. Um, and I think the reveal at the end of it too because you don't know it's a child until the very end and i wasn't expecting to be surprised by much of this movie although i had no i had no real knowledge about it um but that was actually quite shocking i was thinking throughout the whole pov i was like she said michael's running around here somewhere and i was like if he's if this is 15 years before this movie's supposed to take place like what age is he that he's about to murder his sister like Mm-hmm. So is he like 40 in the, <laughs> in the, in the present day? Right. Um, so when he comes out of the house and his parents find him with a bloody knife, which, you know, they're very composed and uh, their reaction was very uh, suppressed, I would say, of seeing their son carrying a bloody knife. I did notice that. Um, but that whole scene was just amazing. Um, yeah, when, really he puts on, when he puts on the mask... And then like the whole POV is through those little holes in the thing. Um, a lot of like horror movies, slasher films kind of live in the realm of reality that these slashers are semi superhuman. Like they can get from one place to another incredibly fast, but it appears that they're just like walking slow, you know, tropes like that. They go behind a tree, but then you peek behind the same tree and they're not there, you know, Things like that. And what I love about the opening shot of, of it being completely in POV is that you see his movements. You know, you're, you're in, his, in his perspective and it's like he moves quick, but not too quick. I mean, yeah, he's a little kid, but when you get back into the movie later on and you see him stalking, you know, these kids to me it kind of brought me back to the beginning scene and it's like okay from his pov he's just going from like window to window around the house um and i so i thought that established like a whole thing where okay we might not be seeing his pov right now but since we have we can kind of like guess where he's going with it you know right 
and it's played like completely creepy too. And the one thing I noticed is the how the the aesthetic of the house is very interesting. Um, just the way it's all set up in the very tiny living room in the front. Um, but the way he kind of just walks in the back, which is completely wide open, which is kind of such a 1960s thing. Um, and then grabs the knife. I mean, the whole thing is just like so well done. I think this movie does a good job of, you kind of know who's going to die. Um, but the timing of it, you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. that, that opening scene is so slowly paced, not in a bad way, but just in the way that it's just like methodical and takes its time until it doesn't even matter. The, the actual stabbing is, is kind of, you don't really see much, which is makes sense. And it's just the, the, the journey up to it was just, just like really one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, so after after all that, and we have the 15-year time jump to like, quote-unquote, present-day 1978, um, we're introduced to like our, our last girl standing trope, right? In the form of Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. You didn't think, by the way, real quick, you didn't think the parents' reaction was odd? I mean, it's Halloween, See, I think a lot of this kind of like um, the fact that this takes place on Halloween and all these movies subsequently do, I think it really works in Michael Myers' favor um, because, I, I, you know, there's one scene later on where Jamie Lee Curtis is like yelling for help and no one's really helping her. And you have to think like, oh, maybe no one's taking cries for help seriously. You know what I mean? So the uh, that, that that lady looked at her and was just like, "Not my problem. Yeah. I am not. <laughs> I am not ready for this foolishness tonight. Like you can go knock on another house." Yeah, exactly. So I I think when the parents see Michael, little Michael with a bloody knife, I mean, who's to say they don't think it's a prop or a, a toy at first? You know. I mean, the father looked a little more concerned. The mother's just like, "What is you know like, oh, you're in trouble." Not realizing that you know. Maybe if they'd acted a little quickly, they could have helped their daughter upstairs who was dying. Um, but yeah, that, and I also did notice this plays out through the, uh, through the movie that even little Michael and older Michael like to wait till the teenagers are done having sex. He doesn't want to interrupt that. He's like, I'll let you guys finish before I start murdering people, which I think is very respectful of him. Um, yeah, and, and the trope about wearing a mask. I think it like almost gives him the confidence to kill hiding behind like some sort of mask. Yeah. And we can get a little more into him uh, later, but you were talking about how the opening with when you finally meet Lori, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. When you finally meet Lori, uh, I'm trying to remember what's the kind of the first, you, you know what she's about right away. Like she's not like the other teenagers in, uh, in what, what's the town called? Howland, Haldenfield. Haddonfield. Haddonfield, right? She's not like the rest of them. She's not party horny all the time. She's like one of the few and like most responsible teenagers. Um, and it really works in his, in her advantage because I guess in a way she doesn't act like every other like teenage victim, you know? What do you mean? 
Well, I, I, I would, I would say that she's quick to react. Um, like there's a lot of places where, you know, Michael can get the jump on, on his victims. And at times he does get the jump on her, but I feel like she's smart enough and she's like, kind of like quick enough to, you know, think of the next step and, and get away from him. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think even before that, the movie does a good job with, uh, getting the exposition done very quickly and kind of setting up the, the archetypes of the characters. Um, you know, after that opening scene, which is, you know, one of the, probably one of the longer scenes besides just the whole ending altogether. But, you know, they set up the present day Michael Myers and how he's, you know, a crazy person. And I love the, the scene of the doctor driving to, into his own kind of insane asylum and the the random patients just walking in the grass yeah so creepy it's so creepy you know um i've actually seen the 2018 remake when it came out in theaters um back then and it's it's a lot like a like a requel right like a remake sequel and basically in the remake, just quickly talking about it, there's like a an asylum slash slash prison transfer, and the bus flips over, and that's how Michael escapes in that one. Spoilers, um, dear God. But, <laughs> but you know, in the same sense that the prisoners are all walking around, you have these insane people all walking around, and unlike that movie where everyone has escaped prison, and so they're all like homicidal maniacs not everyone at this asylum you have to assume is a killer and so it it is kind of creepy seeing these like white robed patients walking around in the rain but on one hand for me i actually feel bad for them like you have a lot of these like insane crazy people who don't know how they got there just like mindlessly walking around yeah, but it's also at night. It's creepy. The doctor kind of leaves the nurse and she gets attacked by Mike Myers. And I was thinking later on, you know, the doctor has a gun on him, but I guess maybe he didn't have it on him at that point. Um, right. But that the whole setup of, you know, and then the doctor's like, evil has just escaped. Evil has left here. You know, it's done super quickly. And then we meet Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Lori. Uh, you know, on her way to school, she runs into the the neighbor boy that she, you know, babysits and is going to babysit that night. Um, and so the exposition is done super quickly. And then you even in that same scene where she's walking to school, she stops by the old Myers house to drop off the keys because her dad's trying to sell it. Because I guess after 15 years, someone wants that place. <laughs> um, and that's apparently how Michael Myers like discovers her and becomes infatuated with her. But when I first saw that scene of like showing us Lori and kind of setting it up, I really got, um, you know, it follows vibes. Like you can definitely tell the director of that is a fan of Halloween because the camera work, uh, similar to the POV shot in the first scene, but the camera work as it's panning around the road. And then the next scene where you have Lori in class, kind of answering questions and then looking outside and seeing this evil there, you know, similar to the, the protagonist in it follows um, seeing the, the demon walking straight towards her. I, I could definitely tell that like either some homages or, you know, just some not stealing, but 
they definitely were uh, affected by watching Halloween. Yeah, and the whole question I had, you know, at at that point was, why is he so obsessed with Lori? Like, what makes her stick out? Um, and not only that, because once, you know, you understand as the audience, you know, that he's obsessed with this girl, uh, I was kind of questioning, why is he going around and bothering with her other friends? Like, why is he going around and killing her other friends? I think they do the kind of classic horror movie move where Annie pisses him off. She yells at him like, hey, quit speeding. Some variation of that. And she's always... Speed speed kills. Yeah, speed kills, you know. There you go. And she's like the classic archetypal, like, get, you know, girl that talks a little too much and gets in trouble and is like, right. and even uh, Lori, Jamie Lee Curtis says, you know, someday you're going to get us in deep trouble. And that just happened to be that day almost. You know, I mean, Lori was already kind of in his line of sight, mm-hmm. but Annie just put herself to the forefront because when Mike Myers follows them, to their babysitting gigs he could go to either house and he annie has pissed him off and he has decided that annie has to die first well i i feel like at the movie really made me feel that michael had some sort of code to his like i know dr loomis is like you know he just he knows no right from wrong evil from good he's you know he's just pure homicidal insane um, but he seems to really like not care about killing kids, which I have to assume that's because he was, he did his first kill as a child and he kind of, for me, I felt like he had this very basic childlike mentality. So maybe he even sees himself as like an equal to, to these kids. Um, and he, he stays away from them. So to me, he goes to these houses. He kills the kids from the houses. And then... Teen, in the, the teens, you mean? The teens, yeah. The teens from the houses. And then in a really smart way, he leaves the last one to call Lori. Almost to, like, lure her away from the house that she's babysitting. I just thought it was because he walked slow. Um it was, <laughs> I, I think one, I'm not sure that he has any hesitancy towards killing kids. He's following um, Tommy around and you could say it's probably just because he knows that Tommy and Lori know each other. And so that's his way to, to get to Lori, but he's already, he, he was able to find her walking on the road with her friends too. So, right. I don't know that he's against killing kids. I just think he's got his victims in mind. Uh, it seems Allie and Lori, um, and maybe their other friend uh, whose name escapes me. But I really think he's just focused on the people he's ready to kill. And so, you know, those three kids were messing with Tommy uh, and made him smash his pumpkin. And one of the kids runs into Michael Myers. Yeah. And he just kind of grabs him. He's like, you know, pushes him to the side like this you're not you're not who i'm interested in right he's also evil but and he seems kind of like special 
But at yeah. the same time, he's very calculating. You know, when when so it's Allie, Lori, and Linda is the other um, the other girl. Linda kind of they're all three walking home from school, and Linda walks off. And then as Allie and Lori continue, Lori sees him out in the distance behind a bush, mm-hmm. and then he kind of walks further behind the bush, and then Allie goes to look for him, and he's disappeared. And I was just thinking, like right there, like. You know, if you're this homicidal maniac, I mean, you could have killed him right there. But he's super calculating. Uh, later on, Linda and her boyfriend Bob are making out on a couch, and like, with the element of surprise, he could easily have just taken them right there. But he kind of wanted to wait until he got each of them isolated. Um, right. He's super calculating, even though you know doesn't speak and kind of seems like he's not all there almost. Kind of going off of that is a good segue into one of my favorite, absolute favorite scenes of the movie is when, um, not Linda, but the the brunette girl. Allie. Allie, thank you. Um, Allie is babysitting that little girl, right, in her house. Lindsay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're good at the character names. I'm me, not so much. Um, but yeah, so Allie is babysitting Lindsay. And... The whole scene when Allie spills whatever she spills on her uh, top. Butter. Oh, my God. Okay. When Allie spills butter on her blouse and it forces her to go out to this, like, outside laundry room, which is just horribly, you know, uh, not convenient for her. But it's... it's Or for anyone generally, having a laundry room (laughs) separated from your house. It is a very odd, odd thing, but it's like in a backyard shed. And so she goes to get her clothes washed and whatever. Um, It's this like 20 minute suspense thrill ride that I'm like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. The entire time because she's outside half naked in this shed, the shed door locks behind her. Then she has to climb out the window. All the while the phone is going on and her, the person she's babysitting is watching loud television. And throughout the entire scene, you see Michael Myers in the freaking window and the door frame and like just basically toying with, I don't even feel like he's toying with her because he, she doesn't even see him. You know, the whole time toying with us, the audience. And it's like, I was just like, okay, now she's going to die. No. Okay, now she's going to die. And it's 20 minutes of this. And it's absolutely, like, it's, it's great. I loved it. Because, like, when it was done, I was like, holy crap. She walks away from the shed. She gets back inside. She gets on the phone call with her boyfriend. And she lives, you know? And she's on the phone with her boyfriend as he's standing outside. Um, that sort of goes to your comment about him not wanting to kill children. But at the same time, she he really just doesn't seem to want to kill people together. Like he wants to take people out one by one. Um, well, it's, it's less, I mean, if you try to do like a group kill, it's more likely you'd fail. And someone you know? would get away. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And so that kind of goes back to the, the, his, his calculating nature. But yeah, that, that scene is really cool. It's like, it's like multiple scenes in one. Um, it's, like, it's like, yeah, it's 20 minutes. And she even gets stuck in the window at one point. 
yeah which would seem to be very easily to kill and he uh he doesn't bite he's like no this isn't this isn't my, my moment um and then her death is pretty graphic not graphic in the sense that you see a lot of blood but i mean chokes her for quite a while until she until she dies um that's probably like the most graphic part of it i would say of the movie yeah and i like it at at like it's such an at an unexpected time um the scene you're talking about is she enters the garage and then she forgets the keys and all the time she's like singing the song about her boyfriend then she goes back in the house for the keys. She goes back out to the garage. And you're thinking at one of these points that, you know, she's going to bite the dust. She gets in the car and starts the car. And I don't know how Michael got in the back seat of a locked car, but I'm just going to leave that up to, you know, him. Um, and it was at the moment where she was like trying to wipe the frost from the, the windshield that that's when he strikes. And it's at such a moment, like a, an in-between moment where where she's doing, you know, she's in the middle of doing something. And it, it I mean, obviously catches her off guard, but it caught me so off guard. Like, I, I believe I yelped. And his, his movements, too, are pretty jarring. He, like, he, he pops up very quickly. He throws his arm forward very quickly. You know, it's probably the quickest he moves in the entire movie because most of the time he's just, like, walking very slowly towards his victim he's like a slow zombie um yeah that scene is is very jarring and it it leads to like some more deaths too you know bob and linda's he once again has to uh get them separated before he murders bob he seems kind of like a normal human being you know the doctor says he's evil and not all there but as far as strength wise he seems normal um and then he lifts bob up with one arm what would seem to be his off arm yeah and then stabs him with such force that uh the knife sticks to the the, first of all the the size of that knife is not deep enough to go through bob's torso and get deep enough into the cabinet door which first of all a cabinet door (laughs) made in 1960 or 1970 made it any time really would not hold him up, right? It, yeah. Like, what, what fucking cabinet door is this? Um, but whatever. It was there to show his strength. That is when he becomes this freakish, kind of super, not supernatural, but supernatural otherworldly being where it's like he's the Terminator. I feel like you also get a good sense of his height. You know, um, I mean, you don't quite know how tall Bob is, but you have to assume looking at the, like, it's framed in a, the, the shot is framed in a way where it's like in the frame of the kitchen door leading to like the backyard. And he's just looming over him, like huge. And the, the height that he has to lift Bob up to be like the same height as him, that shoots, you know, it shows their faces in front of one another. And then it shows how far off the ground Bob really is once he's dead. I think it's one of the most, probably most famous kills of the movie um like it's it's so iconic about him just kind of sticking him up there with a knife um but the you know he's not all there but the scene following that and we're you know we're about to talk about it you have to think that michael myers has some sense of humor because of the sheet 
because of the sheet. The ghost? The ghost sheet. Wearing, that, uh, Bob's, wearing Bob's glasses on the ghost sheet. That scene was so awkward in the beginning because you have Linda sitting there in bed just talking to him and he's not saying a word. And she's like cracking jokes that are making her die laughing and he's just standing there giving her nothing. And she's like, well, fine then. I guess I'll, I guess I'll, call, I'll call Lori because you, you didn't bring me my beer. And like, it, just, <laughs> it just kept going on. I was like, just kill her already. Mm-hmm. And he, she actually puts up like quite a bit more of a fight than Bob was able to. Um, yeah. But the whole, the whole choking on the phone line while Lori's on the other side, I thought it was great if his, like, he's wait, like, he's so calculated that you can't help but think he waited for her to go and make that call and to kill her at the right moment so Lori could hear. Like, it's, it was totally 100% to lure her to that house. It had to be. I think they leave it open for you to make that assumption. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. He also, when you th- say it that way, right after that phone call with Linda to Lori, she looks out the window and the lights are off. And then the lights get turned on for like a couple seconds. And then they're turned back off. And that really makes no sense um, why he would do that or why, except maybe to probably lure her over there because she's yeah. wondering what's going on. I, I want to take it back a little bit because we talked about when Michael Myers, who, first of all, they never once call him Michael Myers in the movie. They never say those two words together. Right. But if you say that now, you either think of Austin Powers guy or this crazy killer, but they never say it, which I thought was interesting. But you have him hiding behind this bush and then standing underneath the clothesline, looking up at her and then disappearing. Like, those moments kind of made me laugh. Almost they felt like a parody of just a scary movie. You know what I mean? Like, right. He's just like standing there. He's like, oh shit. And like walks around the side of the bush and like has to run away. Like I, get, I could easily see that being done even more as a parody, but that in and of itself to me was funny. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a few like YouTube videos making a parody of that exact, exact thing. Um, I, I I like remember one very clearly where she's looking out the window and then it's just Michael Myers, like raking the leaves in the backyard. Or something <laughs> like that. Um, but before yeah. we get, I also have more things to point out in this movie before we get back to the close to the ending. Um, I really wanted to hear the caretaker's murder story as he's talking to the doctor and going to the headstone. He's like, yeah, the guy goes outside and gets a, gets a saw he comes in and kisses his wife and children. And then I was like, no, like, come on, finish it up. Like, what does he do? Um, so that cliffhanger was disappointing to say the least. The, the thing that I really liked about um, John Carpenter is how he sticks his own stuff in his movie, kind of like the way Wes Craven did with Scream. Cause then you had the thing playing on the TV, which I, uh, I thought was a good Easter egg of his. No. Yeah. That was, that was cool too. The other thing I want to talk about before we get back to the ending is the entire drive of Allie taking Lori to the babysitting jobs because they're next to each other. You know, when they're walking home from school, Allie's like, oh, oh no, Allie calls Lori and says, I get the car tonight, so I'll pick you up. Right. Um, they're driving for quite a while. And one, Mike Myers is tailing them very conspicuously. 
and I don't know how they did not see that happening. <laughs> Two, why does she feel the need to stop and talk to her dad when they're smoking either a cigarette or weed? Like they're, t- they're totally smoking pot. Um, just keep it moving. You don't need to stop. Like yeah. just wave. And yeah, keep it going. I I really like that scene where you know where they're talking to her dad, who's the sheriff, by the way, and he's like. Yeah, a couple of kids must have robbed this hardware store. And she's like, well, what did they steal? And he's like, uh, some tape, some rope. Masks. Masks, yeah. Knives. <laughs> oh, yeah, knives. And yeah, I, that would be some knives. Was knives. Like, no, and then right after that is actually probably my favorite shot in the movie, this really wide shot of Dr. Loomis after he just told the sheriff he really needs to talk to him. And Mike right. Myers turning left right behind him and right the doctor just kind of looking around that's i don't know why because it's just an intersection it's nothing but it was such a cool shot to me it is a cool shot i think one of the creepiest like times you see michael is when he's looking at the girls in the car because you know it's him but they think it's like some boy or whatever (laughs) <laughs> and so he like looks and he's like yeah he's pretty in shadow but like it is clearly a dude in a in a you know messed up mask um and they're like oh it must be you know kyle he's so cute you know and i'm just like yeah it's totally kyle and then they're driving after that and it's kind of decently light out and then it cuts and the next scene she's pulling up and it's pitch black well, I mean, I don't know where the sun sets, you know, how fast the sun sets where you're from, David, but uh, the sun can be in a setting situation and go dark pretty, pretty damn quick. Except the other thing is Lori lives very close to where she was babysitting Tommy because she runs into him like on the way walking to school. You don't know how far he's walked. He just decides like, <laughs> I'm going to walk. I'm going to do... Uh, a half a marathon before school and I'm gonna go do my, by Lori's house. I'm going to do my sure 15 gets, I need to make sure she gets the jack-o'-lantern, so I'm going to go super out of my way. Yeah, I, he's, he's got to get his 15-minute cardio in for the, for the day. I, I need a map of Haddonfield to make sure that this makes sense. I'm just saying those, yeah. those are some issues I spotted upon second watch. Doesn't ruin um, the movie, but it was thought it was funny. No, it is funny. Uh, the The... The scene I think you're talking about where they were driving, you're talking about the one where the, it's like sunset and it's shot completely from the back seat. Right. And she's talking about how she, uh, you know, she likes this one. She's like, oh, you could ask this one boy to prom. She's like, oh, I'd rather ask this other boy. And she's like, oh, wow. Oh, da, da, da. Yeah. I can't believe you like him. I didn't, it's, I didn't even know you thought like that. And then the next scene, they're up pulling up against the house, Mike Myers, and the camera is from Mike Myers's car. Yeah. And, uh, then, you know, it's pitch black. The the reason I wanted to talk about the shooting from the back seat is, um, you know, I, I went to film school and in something that kind of stuck to me in one of the lessons for my cinematography was different ways you can shoot from, from, you know, you can shoot people from inside a car. And I think one is like the most common way is where you set the rig on the, on the hood of the car facing them and you get the reflection of the, the stuff off of the windshield, but you also, you know, you get them in the car. The other way is you can set it up on one of the windows, most likely the, the passenger window, 
and shoot them at kind of a, a side angle, a profile angle, you know? Uh, I don't see a lot of movies where the car is shot from the back seat and the two people up at the front mainly shot their their back of their heads but it works so well for what we were want, wanting from this movie i think because it gives you this real like you know you're in the back seat this kind of like uh voyeur sort of perspective where i think it just like really works in this movie especially with the like the really nice sunset lighting well, yeah and because it's the voyeur perspective because you're following these people being followed by another voyeur you know what i mean mike myers is just he's a stalker yeah i but i just i mean you could shoot a car in, in so many different ways but just that shot really stuck out to me and then right after that apparently we find out that mike myers eats dog um what i what i found interesting about that is one you have dr loomis who plays this super serious character this whole time and it this shows, you know, this is the, the part that points out that he has a gun, which is going to become super important later. Yeah. But also just how, like, scared he is. In every scene, he's just super serious. And then the three kids that messed with Tommy earlier come up to the door, and he just, like, fucks with them. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to scare the shit out of these kids. He, like, <laughs>, laughs to himself about it. I mean, yeah, he does laugh to himself. But I, I had to assume that he did it because he wanted like no more victims. And he assumed that Michael was going to come back to that house. So he wanted the kids to like get the, get the hell out, you know? Right. And then you have the little jump scare where the sheriff talks to him after. And I love that, you know, the doctor keeps saying these things like he's evil incarnate. I've looked in his eyes, you know, for eight years, I tried to save him. And then for seven years, I've tried to keep him locked away. And I like the sheriff's just like, more fancy talk, but no evidence of like why I should put all my police like working 24 seven to catch this guy. He does um, come around though. Like the sheriff does come around. He, he, he keeps going. And I think it's kind of sad too, because the sheriff's like, you know, if you're right about this guy and anything, anyone's been hurt, you know, and he's on the loose, like this is your day, like your damn fault. And it turns out that the sheriff's daughter is like one of the three victims of this. What's really cool about that is in the 2018 remake, that sheriff, that actor does reprise his role after like 40 years, or I think it was like, yeah, just about. And um, like the death of his daughter and being like under his watch still looms over him. Like it is very like to what we've just watched. And I can, I, it's funny because I couldn't appreciate it as much before watching this, but since I've now seen both Halloweens, um, it really surprised me how well the remake sequel thing was done. Back to the map of Haddonfield that we need. <laughs> oh um, the doctor is standing at the Myers residence for what seems like hours and then turns around and is like, oh, is that my car? <laughs> like, let me go look. He's like, this is my car. Oh, man. <laughs> And then starts walking in that direction, like maybe have some situational awareness to have, you know, done a 360 to see what cars are around before you're sitting there for two hours. Oh my God. I mean, I, does he not notice right away? I felt like he noticed pretty quickly. They went inside the house. He then said, I'm going to wait here. And the cop said, I'll be back in an hour. The cop comes back. They have the conversation where he's like, you're giving me more fancy talk. 
the sheriff cop leaves, and then a little while after that, he sees the car. Oh, there's yeah. Like, there's some passage of time. And then also, he starts Duster. walking down the street. Yeah, he starts walking down the street. How long is the street? Like, how far away? Mike Myers pulled up right to those houses. <laughs> Did he drive, like, a mile down the road to park the car? I mean, I mean maybe. I that would. That might make sense. I 100% would. If I was going to go kill a whole bunch of teenagers in a three-house radius, I would not park my very obviously stolen, you know, county asylum car anywhere near them. Yeah, except he can also take a um, a spear, like a rod, right in his neck, and then he can take something jammed in his eye. It was a it was a a knitting needle. Mm-hmm. Knitting needle. Couldn't think of the word. And then he a coat hanger in the face slash eye, and yeah. then a knife stabbed somewhere, and then four to five bullets. Um, and he falls off of a second story house and walks away. So, I mean, should he fear cops? I don't know. I don't know if he should fear anything. (laughs) I mean, like, it kind of goes back to what you said about he's a normal dude, right? Like, we've seen him as a little boy. We've seen him, you know, being in the, in the, uh, escaping the insane asylum even when he was escaping the insane asylum the way he breaks the window of that car to get the nurse out he has i don't know if you noticed but he had like a wrench tied to his hand so when he hit the glass that's what caused the glass to break oh no i didn't notice that at all so it wasn't it wasn't his strength he was smart enough to put like a piece of metal to break the glass and then like you said as soon as he starts lifting bobby up and stabbing him through the cabinet through his torso through the cabinet um that's when you get a sense of his strength but it escalates even more and i know this escalates like throughout like halloween 2 halloween h2o resurrection he becomes you know more and more of a like a supernatural human being right no yeah i think they do a good job i haven't seen the rest but I would imagine that this one being so much more highly rated than the rest, they do a good job of not overdoing his abilities and kind of keeping the movie a little more grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's fine for just your kind of average thriller to have you know the Terminator chasing after someone, but like have a horror plot. Um, but I, I think the original works so well because you're you know there's a little left to the imagination you're a little unsure you know what's his strength and what's his what are his abilities you know he we we do know he walks very slowly yeah but somehow you know the same kind of trope where he always catches up to his victims which i have to assume this is kind of where that was born um and we also see that in it follows now, I, I do want to talk, let's talk about the end. So, you know, we're going to get in some real spoiler territory. Um, and believe it or not, I've actually seen Halloween 2, the direct sequel to this one, like back in like, I didn't watch it back in 1981, but I'm talking about Halloween 2, the 1981 version. So I do want to talk about that. So there's going to be spoilers in there too. So yeah, let's just get talking about the ending. Let's start at the point where she's in the closet. Cause I think that's a really iconic scene too, where she hides herself in the closet. Well, before that, really quickly if i find the dead bodies of my three friends in a house that i've gone into i'm I'm not going to just scream and like slide up against the wall like i'm mm-hmm. probably going to get the hell out of there right 
very quickly. I also really didn't understand what was the significance of putting, I guess it ties into the sequel, which you're about to talk about, but the idea of putting the headstone of Judith Myers and having Allie lay in front of that, I thought was like interesting yet odd. I didn't totally get what the significance of that would have been. It, I mean, it had to be kind of a lead up to, to what we're going to talk about, about Halloween too. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're shown that the, the, I, I do really appreciate the, like the grave digger and the doctor scene in the graveyard where the grave digger is like, oh, those damn kids, you know, digging up gravestones on Halloween. And Loomis is like, he's home. You know, he just, he knows it's Michael. You know, there's not a doubt in his mind that it was Michael who did that. Um, I mean, it's ominous, right? I mean, you, you go upstairs and it's like, not only do you see your dead friend in the bed, but she's right yeah, under a giant ass gravestone. No, absolutely. Yeah. So Lori's in the closet and she, you know, she's told the kids lock themselves in the room. She's in the closet. He breaks in the closet and she somehow has this like pinpoint accuracy with the um, the hanger, and she pokes him. I guess like right in the eye of the mask. She's really good. Yeah, she's really good. And um, f- so he does. So he gets like this like thick ass uh, knitting needle in his neck, and he's like after her again. And then he gets this like tiny little wire stuck in his eye, and for some reason she thinks. He's dead. Let me ask you, when he starts rising up and she's in the doorway, like like heavy breathing, are you like the guy from Scream and you're like, turn around, Jamie, turn around? I mean, I knew there's four more movies after this, so no, I, I was just interested in how it was going to end. Um, she also did stab him with the knife, so that's why she thought she'd killed him. I just oh, wish I must, that. I must have missed that. I wish she would stop dropping the knife after stabbing him because it's like right. you keep making that mistake, like just hold on to it. Um, and this also leads to Dr. Loomis coming through with, with the piece with the gun uh, that he showed earlier. When this movie started, having known nothing about it, I was very sure that Dr. Loomis was gonna die in mm-hmm. a very grisly way. Um, so that was like one of the probably the only, if not maybe just the main surprising thing of this, because I knew Jamie Lee Curtis lived, um, that he not only like survived, but is, you know, kind of the the hero in the end of this. Yeah, he has such an interesting like arc. I guess you could call it an arc. He, you know, in the other movies, don't ask me why I've seen the other movies, but never the original. I don't know why myself. But in the other movies, he's do- he does serve as many different sort of plot devices, um, especially in the uh, in the newest one. Um, obviously, the actor died for for the two thousand eight since the two thousand eighteen, but the character Doctor Loomis plays a, a real prevalent role in there. Uh, you know, we were talking about why he was so obsessed with Lori, why Michael Myers was so obsessed with Lori. Um, in Halloween 2, you do find out that they are actually siblings. She's like the younger sister that he wasn't able to kill. And I'm not quite sure if it was like after he, if she was born after he was put away. I, I have to assume she was born after 
he was put away and then he found out about her existence and that's why he's so gung-ho about going after her. Um, but for me, I kind of like that she was just so random. I wasn't like, I didn't appreciate now we know why, you know? Yeah. And then almost, I'd be interested. I didn't do any research on this, but I knew that they were brother and sister. And I almost thought that this was going to, that was going to be established in this movie, but that, that almost feels like a detail that they added for the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Carpenter directed the second one, although he's probably may or may not have been involved, but that felt like something they were like, oh, we could totally just add this in. And, you know, so he's 23 at the time of this movie. And I think he was probably like, what, six when yeah. he killed his sister in yeah. 1963. So, I mean, Lori's... 15 or 16 so I mean she was the mom was probably pregnant or just about to be pregnant with her and I think the way the second one works is you know they give her up for adoption and they I don't know what the parents do but I do question why you wouldn't give her up for adoption in a different town where uh her sister was not murdered (laughs) from maybe a different state possibly um just think bigger than you know, Haddonfield, Illinois, or Illinois in general. Um, so that's a mistake. Maybe yeah. could have saved us three or four movies after this. But I prefer it that this is just a random occurrence. I think it makes it scarier. I think it makes it not that you want to be scared in real life of some random fucking psychopath coming after you, but in the moment of watching a movie, it does make it scarier that this is just random. And he could have. He could have found anyone. He saw her drop off the keys in the front of his old house. And he's like, I'm coming for you. That is scarier to me. Oh, a hundred percent. And I I totally agree with you. Um, I do want to quickly, just very quickly mention the other movies in the Halloween series. There are 11 Halloween movies with a 12th coming out in 2021. That is incredible. I'm excited for the 12th because that's probably a direct sequel from the 2018. Can you, can you go ahead real quick and just list them? I didn't know there was, I didn't know there were so many. Go ahead. There's, there's Halloween. There's Halloween two. There is Halloween three season of the witch. Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers. Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers. Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers is the sixth one. (laughs) They just like can't stop making these movies. 78, 81, 82. 88 is like a six-year gap. And then 89 right away. 95 is the sixth one, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. And then 1998 with Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role, Halloween H2O. Which, what the fuck does H2O mean anyway? It's water, David. You just oh, have, I, just oh, I get it. <laughs> I, th- I, think it's, I think it's H20. So I sound like an, an idiot saying H2O <laughs> because 1998 is 20 years after 1978. So there we did that math. Then Halloween Resurrection. And then Rob Zombie got involved and we did Halloween and Halloween 2. And that did so well that we didn't make another movie for <laughs> nine years. Uh, and Halloween was done in 2018, which is the 40-year anniversary. Um, there are too many of these. <laughs> and I think that's clear from this last... And installment here, of, of David reading the internet. And, uh, and here at I Finally Watched, we are going to make it our personal mission to watch every single one in lead up to Halloween 12. I'll tell you what. We will do 
one of these every October. So we can do two next year. And if we're for some reason still doing this podcast in 12 years, then we'll get to the 2021 installment. And that's if movies are still even being made after we're done with the pandemic. So I will make that promise to you. Okay, well, you heard it here. The other part is she gets into the house and locks the door and then looks over to the right and there's a window opening. And like Michael Myers has gotten in already. Where the hell was he? Because then she sits on the couch, which is right next to the window opening. And he's just behind the couch. But she was looking that way. How did she not see him? How did he get behind the couch, Alon? How did he get behind the couch? He's a supernatural killing machine, David. And then she stabs him in the neck, which was pretty badass. It is pretty badass. My last complaint with the movie, and I'm only doing the complaints because I think they're funny. Um, and it's a movie from 42 years ago, so there's going to be some shit that doesn't hold up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The heavy breathing over the ending and the credits was too much and super unnecessary. Yeah, and it actually comes back in the 2018 one as a huge plot device, which I found funny. Um, that, Is it asthma? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know if he has asthma. Um, but it, it's... Uh, I think it's a way, and, and, and the 2018, it, it definitely acts in the way that it definitely wants the audience to know that he's still alive. It's just, I just, not, I don't, I don't need to hear his heavy breathing. Like it was, he got up from the five bullet shots and the knife wounds and the stabbings. Like we already know he's still alive. I love that though. I absolutely love that. He looks out, there's that shot from him, you know, on the ground after falling off for the two story uh, house um, balcony window thing. And then when Loomis looks over, it's just gone. It's just great. No. Yeah. I I mean, they do a good job given the year of making this still fairly not scary today, but just well done. Um, And I can only imagine 42 years ago how like, freaked out about this movie people were so yeah i was really really happy we watched it next year you know next halloween when we do this again you know there's there's so many horror movies we could just keep doing this every halloween you know two horror movie episodes a a week um how familiar are you with like freddy krueger or like jason Voorhees? i've never seen a single one of those movies okay I would, you know, next year when we, I'd like to do a Freddy, I'd like to do a Jason. And I want to compare as far as like slashers go, where does Michael Myers fall? You know, we have this opportunity where we can like really kind of break. I mean, I'm not saying I'm, we, I want to make our, our podcast channel a horror movie exclusive, but this is a genre that a lot of people like. We're not huge fans of it, um, but I, I feel like you and I are, gaining a new appreciation for films like this. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the classic ones like this. Um, When you have someone like John Carpenter or um, Wes Craven or, you know, even the the newer ones we've talked about with um, Robert Robert Eggers. When you have these guys who know what they're doing, like you can make horror movies that are great. I don't get scared by these movies, but I appreciate how well done they are. And so like watching some of the great horror movies, even watching like the the parodies we've done with Shaun of the Dead. um, These, they're just, if you don't watch these movies, there's some great stuff you're missing. So I think 
you can get past the horror and the, you know, I'm not going to watch the slasher, you know, not, not slasher movies, but just like the gory saws and hostels. Like I'll still never watch those, but these are, these are too good not to watch. Agreed. Well, well, thank you for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is our last installment in hashtag spooky season. <laughs> I'm David. And I'm Alon. And we finally watched Halloween. Bye.